You're listening to listener-supported WPKN in Bridgeport at 89.5 FM. We are online at WPKN.org. I'm Valerie Richardson, and I'm uh, very happy to be here this, with you this afternoon, and especially happy to welcome in some old friends, and we're going to be talking about some really cool projects, and welcome to the studio to Jennifer reynolds K who is the director of the Housatonic Museum of Art. Hi. Yes, hi. There you are. Yes. And also to Kim Weston, who I believe we've talked before. We, you, were, you were down here. We, we, we had a, an interview about the Wabi Gallery, which at that point you were just opening in New Haven. And, and we'll talk more about that. And we're also going to be talking about a special exhibition that uh, is of the work of Kim's work. It's called Sweet Grass. Dancing with My Ancestors, the opening for that is tomorrow. So I first want to speak with um, with Jennifer. And Jennifer and I have known each other for a number of years through working both together at the Yale Art Gallery and and, and then you have been down here. And now the director at the Housatonic Museum of Art, which rarely do you ever say those words without the word words hidden jewel. So why don't you talk a little bit about just of what in general you have here, the collection and... Yeah, absolutely. So it's it's funny that you say that because our current show is called Hidden Gems from the Housatonic Museum of Art in the Burt Chernow Galleries, named after our founder. Um, and that showcases some of the highlights of our, of our permanent collection. Um, that show is on view through February 2nd. So if you haven't seen it yet, I definitely recommend you take a look. Um, but Burt Chernow, was, uh, he was a revolutionary. I mean, he really, he founded the museum in the 1960s, believing that Art should be everywhere for everyone at all times. Um, he taught at Housatonic Community College, as it was then known. He was in the art department. He was the chair of the art department. He was an artist. He was um, a collector and appraiser himself. So he was very enmeshed in the art world. And he created this incredible now 7,000 art object collection that that we share with our students um, through hallway displays um, and our special exhibitions in the Chernow Galleries and the Elizabeth Frey Gallery, where Kim's show is um, opening tomorrow from three to six. Very, very cool. And, and what are your hours? Can people come in and is it easy to access? Yeah, absolutely. So we try to extend our hours as much as possible, Monday through Friday, 8.30 to 7, Saturdays 9 to 2, and Sundays were closed, um, as well as uh, closed major holidays. Um, we stick to the CT state calendar, um, but we're free and open to the public. Our reception tomorrow is free. And um, yeah, I mean, the whole purpose is to have everyone enjoy the art um, in Bridgeport. And Bridgeport, and we were just talking about that, this, and, and, we'll, and we'll talk a lot about about it a lot more. It's just really, it's such an exciting place for the visual arts, both within a museum context and then also within the artists who are, who are living here and working here. And we just had art trails a couple of weekends ago. And um, as is New Haven, and we there's just a lot of back and forth between New Haven and Bridgeport. And I think I think both are just such, have become such vibrant art scenes. And so what is, um, Kim, how did, how did you and Jennifer meet up? How did we meet up? I think it was related to Crit Haven. Oh, yeah. Was it Crit Haven? Yeah. Is... Crit Haven was the first time we met. Yeah. Or I think we had passed each other in New Haven, but it was really Crit Haven that solidified 
our relationship. And Crit Haven was this incredible initiative. I'm not sure if it's still going on, but it was to bring artists and creatives and art historians and educators together to do that. those sort of intimate conversations that happen in a Crit, but in a very kind of like thoughtful, intentional way. Um, and we, that was a few years ago. I think that was mm-hmm. right before, yeah. the, after pandemic sometime. But it was great. And I, that's how we met. Yeah. <laughs> and I yeah. saw Kim's work and I knew that it, we had to do something at the Housatonic Museum of Art. I remember Crit Haven. I wasn't actually one of the participating artists, but I know that at least at one time there was there was a, a pop-up show that was um, I went to see. Yes. Yeah. That was in downtown New Haven on the second floor above the makerspace. Right. Um, right, right across from Elm City Market. Exactly. Very interesting. So, so what I, I'm looking at this image, and I'd love to see more images, Kim. This um, beautiful, this beautiful work, sweet grass dancing with my ancestors. And we were talking a little bit about your work as a photography educator, but what is what is your your own work? And you were talking about how you yourself were inspired as a young person um, growing up to to become a photographer. Yeah, I you know I had these two African-American men that, you know, pulled me under their wing. And I've always known that I'm, you know, I'm half indigenous. So I've always known that. But I lived in Queens. I didn't live on any reservations or anything like that. And so these guys, they, they knew that I needed some support. And so they took me under their wings and they taught me photography Uh, commercial photography. But I went to Jamaica Art Center and that's where I learned, you know, how to develop film. And I got an opportunity to meet um, Lorna Simpson and Karen May Weems and Elizabeth Catlett and Dao Bay. And so these photographers, when I was 12 years old, they were like gods and goddesses to me. And from there, I just knew I wanted to be a photographer. I got to meet Thelma Golden and Kelly Jones as curators. So I ran up and down the hallways showing my photography to these awesome curators that would have intellectual conversations with me about my first photos. (laughs) You know, so I was immersed in that world. And as a photographer... Uh, these guys gave me my first job at 16 years old. And when I graduated from Cooper Union, um, Lorna Simpson had helped me get into SVA. And uh, these guys had given me equipment through the years, and I was able to work in the photo industry and the music industry. And I worked for the city doing event photography. So when I came back, uh, when I had an opportunity, I purchased a building downtown New Haven on Court Street, and I wanted to turn that into a gallery. But it took some time to get some money. So now I have some money, and I'm starting renovation this month. And But during a time, I started uh, a program at Known, and they asked me to curate the walls there. So I asked them if I could start my Focus Fellowship program there uh, two years ago. Mm. And they said yes. And so this year I have 12 students. And this is the first year I have a grant that is actually backing the program where I can give students a camera 
to help them learn how to sustain themselves as photographers. And they also learn fine art photography. So they learn what I call the great, the great whites, like (laughs) (laughs) Robert Frank, and they learn Annie Libowitz, and they learn, um, uh, Dawu Bay, and they learn all the great photographers that are around. Right. And, they get all that information, but they also will go to Miss Stina Lanson and they will get to go to a lot of studios, local artists and photographers in New Haven, and they will get a lesson in studio photography. They will be able to visit with um, Bud Glick, who is a photographer who photographed Chinatown. So they get that opportunity as well. Right. And so if they stay with me for four years, four to five years, because the program is from age 13 to 20 up until their first years in college, or if they choose not to, um, they will get a whole system of photography equipment that they can go out and either work for themselves, work for someone else or use it while they're in college. And that's unheard of. And so the first two years I did this out of pocket. And this year I'm getting funding from the Pincus Foundation. Um, So I am just really excited that I have been able to do this and give back while also helping young artists who are starting out and helping them with their portfolios and their work and exposing them to galleries around New Haven and exposing them to people who have never seen their work, artists from Bridgeport, artists from um, New London, artists from different areas in uh, Connecticut from the BIPOC community, um, Native American artists who are not from Connecticut, but from other states and bringing them in and trying to balance New Haven and Bridgeport and these areas close by with other artists and exchanging the creativeness that we all have, right? And so we can learn from each other. And I feel that's the only way we can do it is if we learn from each other. That is an amazing story. When you were talking about being 12 and going through that list of art of the photographers that you were studying with, and for people who don't know photography, it was like saying you were studying with Leonardo da Vinci and Michelangelo. It was just <laughs> really, and I was just thinking that's, that's we look back in retrospect at how, certain art times and in particular that time where there was sort of the, the whole, the whole apprenticeship program. And, um, you know, when we look back at it in retrospect and it just sort of seems self self evident and, but, but no, it was created. And, and in the same way, this is, this is incredible. The, what yeah. you're doing in New Haven is mm-hmm. just incredible. Thank you. And I'm sure you're profoundly, profoundly helping to change lives and inspire, inspire kids and really, really amazing. Yeah, I'm so excited. This group that I have this year, they're excited, you know, and I tell them, once you put your foot into it, then I can put my foot into it and then we can break all kind of boundaries. And so the program not just teaches them about working hard, but it teaches them about responsibility, being on time. Right. I can tell if you've taken one photo, five photos or 10 photos. I can tell if you've worked for one hour or if you work for five minutes by just the type of photos that you've taken. So if you're not putting your heart into it, then I can't give you that camera. 
right? I can't give you that that um, that exhibition at the end of this program. That we get a, a full exhibition. They get a website. They get business cards. They get the whole gamut, right? Um, I can't give that all to you if you don't give it to yourself. Because I'm going to give you what you need. But I'm going to help you along the way. I'm not going to let you give up on you. I'm going to support you. And so I have other artists that work with them that come to encourage them as well. So Jennifer will come in and she'll have a talk with them, right? And so I encourage everyone to come in and have a conversation with them and share their expertise with them. And so we all have something to give to these young people. The New Haven Public School can't do it all. But if we all just share an hour, 30 minutes with a young person, we can change their lives. I can't touch them all, but Next Haven can't do it all. I can't do it all. But if we all share a little bit, we all grow. You know, Creative Arts Workshop is a beautiful program, have beautiful programs in the facility, but they only touch a certain amount. Um, The Eli Center of Contemporary Art, they only touch a certain amount, right? Um, A lot of the programs, they only touch a handful of kids, but we're all touching the same kids from the same programs. So if we all gather together and try and reach as many kids as we want, as we can, we will have more and more kids to reach out to. But if we act as solo entities, we won't reach as many as we can. So we have to act as a group working together and help support each other, come together as a system. You know, it should be like, uh, how did my friend Helen say? She said, we should act as though we're on a, um, what's the word? Like we're going to medical school and you have this particular round of Mm -hmm. classes that you have to do. So if you want to be a surgeon, you work on that. If you want to be um, a, a pediatrician, you work on that round. And you go to each one of these institutions to learn a different specialty. Right. And yeah. that's how I feel like we sh- we can we can do that. And that can work with our cities and our towns as well. Right. If we all make those connections. So those kids that are living out in the burbs that only look at each other, that look the same color and race, they should come to New Haven. And the kids in New Haven and Bridgeport should go out there and see what they're doing. Right. Because then we learn from each other. We learn different cultures. We learn different types of languages. We learn different foods. Right. Because we had a stomp, um, a Native American stomp in our house. And we had Asian kids in our house. We had white children in our house. We had some Jewish children in our house, our kids' friends. And it was the most beautiful thing. We had black children in our house. And we had all these Native kids running around. And it was the most beautiful things. And our kids' friends' parents were amazed Mm. at what was happening in our home. You can't get that if you isolate yourself. Right. And the arts is one of the most beautiful thing to share, like religion. Right. Like politics. 
as crazy as that is, it's beautiful when you can share it openly. And art is one of those things that you can share openly, like culture. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think also just for giving as aspirational role models, what you're giving to the kids. This, this is a this is a different way to live your life. This life of creativity, and which maybe is something they hadn't imagined. And what you're doing, and what is happening at Next Haven, which is also sort of a um, brings kids in as I guess apprentices and and working with older established artists and and people just out of out, out of art school. So um, what a what a what a great culture, New Haven. This is this is a bright bright golden moment for the New Haven. I think. <laughs> Yes, yes. So I think I think we're we're already going to schedule our next interview and it's going to be when you're ready to do your show with your kids to bring some of them down here so we could we could talk oh, to that them. That would be beautiful. Yeah, we'd love to do that. Yeah, and we'll have a big gathering tomorrow too yeah. when you're talking about food and culture and you I'd love yeah, for you to explain yeah. a little bit cuz we kind of co-created the opening to activate all the senses. Yes, and that's what my work is based on, all the things that I'm talking about. My spirit photography deals with all of that, dealing with touching our ancestors and touching the children of today and moving forward. Yeah. And taking all that energy with those photos. Yeah. So um, so what is happening tomorrow? Let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Should we talk a little bit about how your whole community has been activated and supporting you? And yeah. you want to elaborate a little bit about... Yeah. So my yeah. uncle is coming tomorrow with his drum. Um, he's Cherokee and he is bringing six or seven guys, um, the, the Young Bloods, Young Blood singers. Um, they're coming over from Long Island. Uh, a lot of Shinnecock men are coming over from the Shinnecock Reservation. Uh, they're coming. And my um, auntie, Claudia, she is cooking a lot of indigenous food. So there'll be um, gator gator bites and there'll be um, fry bread, which is um, uh, a native... Uh, must have. Mm. <laughs> um, there will be uh, some bison burgers, little mini burgers. There will be three sister soup, uh, which I had a little taste of today, which you have to have. Um, and I think there'll be there'll be wild rice, which is awesome. Mm. Um, and something else she's making. Uh, she will surprise us, but she is cooking. She's she's 74, so she's cooking her tail off right now. <laughs> <laughs> Which we're very grateful for. Yes, and I know yes. that our students at CT State who's a tonic are looking forward to this. And of course, anyone who's in the area should definitely stop by, see the art, have a bite to eat, and meet you. Yeah. Um, because it's going to be a really special evening from three to six tomorrow yes, in yes. Beacon Hall. Yes. Now, I'm I'm a little bit intimidated when I when I'm outside of Housatonic. Uh, I've, I have a hard time thinking about where to go. So can can you explain? How yeah. To, how to so get there? the easiest. So if you part the the there's a giant building for parking. The parking lot at 870 Lafayette Boulevard. So if you park there, that's your best bet. You turn um, to your right is Beacon Hall, um, and it's on the first floor. You can't miss it, and we'll have plenty of signage. So just 870, if you park there, you can't go wrong. I'm sure our students and security and faculty will help direct you, but we'll have signage as well. And so you're going to have a lot of, a lot of dancing, a lot of, a lot of drumming, a lot of... 
a lot of drumming, not so much dancing. That's but more a lot in of, the in the images. Yeah, we that's have some, more of the images, yeah. the photo, the photos. So my photos are four feet by six feet. Wow! And I print them that large because I want you to feel like you're a part of the dancing, like you're one with the dancer. And so a lot of my photographs um, feel like there's only one person there in the circle, but there are many people in the circle and I kind of isolate them out. And so they're more about the ancestors that are dancing with the person that's there. And so I sit on the ground and I sit near the drum so I can feel the heartbeat of the drum and so I can feel the footsteps of the dancers so I can be one with everyone. And so that oneness that I have also allows me to connect with the spirit of the circle. And that allows the energy and the spirits to connect with me. And so it used to be that I was afraid that I was capturing these spirits. But actually, it's the spirits that are allowing me to capture them. And they are really saying, we trust you to show others who we are and that we exist. That's the message that I'm able to give. Because over the years, more and more is being revealed in these images. And so I would like for people to come out and really see what is there. Because we often think that when we pass, that that's it or we're going to heaven, or we're going someplace other. But actually, we're here. Our ancestors turn into energy. We are energy. We never really die. And they walk with us. They dance with us. You smell something. That might be your auntie that passed away. Mm. That smell that she left, that perfume, might be her coming to you saying, I'm here, you know, or that wind that blows your hair. That might be an elder or someone that left and they're just saying hi. A friend of mine, um, she couldn't wait to see me. And she said, Kim, this rabbit came up to me. This rabbit with these big eyes just twice in one week came up to me, just stopped and just looked at me. What does that mean? And she says, my nephew just passed. Do you think it's my nephew? I said, well, what kind of energy did your nephew have? And she said, he was funny. He was always cracking jokes. I said, well, the rabbit represents the trickster. He's always making jokes. He's hmm. People think he's weak, but he's so strong. But he is one of the most powerful characters in a lot of Native stories. But he also represents cutting jokes and playing around. She said, that's him. That's him. That was him saying hello. I knew you would have the answer. <laughs> and so that is a way for medicine to come to you. If your eyes are open and your ears are open, energy comes to you. Your ancestors speak to you in all different kinds of ways. You know, so my photographs is just another way of seeing them. Mm. I'm Valerie Richardson, and you are listening to listener-supported WPKN in Bridgeport at 89.5 FM. I'm in the studio with Kim Weston, who is an Afro-Indigenous artist 
and the founder of the Wabi Gallery in New Haven. A exhibition of her work, work will be opening tomorrow evening at the Housatonic, Commun- Housatonic um, Museum of Art and the, which gallery, Elizabeth? At the, in the Elizabeth Frey Gallery, Elizabeth Frey yes. Gallery. Uh, from three to six, and as you can as you as you can hear, it's going to be a multi-sensory experience with food and um, and and Jennifer Jennifer is the um, director of the museum, and you've been there for about. Uh, I've been there for almost coming up on a, a year and a few months. Yeah, so. And you bring yeah. in some great energy. Yeah, I you know I'm very grateful to have this position and work with artists like Kim Weston. And I, I, sh- I should mention that this wouldn't have been possible without, without the generous support of Elizabeth Frey, who we we had a wonderful lunch with. Yeah, and, and I um, just want to say, Elizabeth is such a wonderful woman. And thank you so much, Elizabeth. I, you know, if it wasn't for people like Elizabeth Frey, you know, artists would not be able to do what they do. And museums would not be able to have collections that they have. And when um, people like her and Eric Epstein uh, from the Pincus Foundation, we wouldn't we wouldn't be able to create and and pass on our talents the way that we do. So I'm very grateful to Elizabeth and for having me and enjoying my work. So thank you. Thank you, Jennifer. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's great. So as I'm as I'm listen, l- looking at the work and I'm listening to you, there's there's you're, you're talking a lot about spirit and 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 just the the sort of transformation of spirit and into photography. But but behind those ideas, it takes a lot of craft. And looking mm. at your looking at your art, I can tell there's a lot of so much knowledge and so much craft going on. Um, I, I think first, how do you how do you do the shots? These are long exposure shots. You are within uh, at places where people are dancing. I imagine there's a lot of commotion, a lot of... How, how does all that come about? Well, it all started because in my master's class, I was deemed the National Geographic photographer, right? Because I was doing documentary photography. So once you go into a master's class for fine art photography, they don't want you doing documentary photography. So that was like an insult, right? Mm-hmm. So so they kept saying, you got to go deeper. You got to find out why you're doing what you're doing. So at first I didn't get it. And then when I started going to the powwows, this guy came over to me um, one of the times I went and he had the same camera, the same lens. And he stood in my space. I had my, one of my babies was in front of me. I have six children and a set of triplets. And at the time, I had my third child in front of me, and he was in my personal space. And I was like, he's going to get the same shot. He's not here for the same reason. I'm dressed in regalia. My kids are in regalia. And it's just not going to be the same. So why are you here, Kim? And it made me start to question, what am I taking photos of? Am I just getting a picture of someone in regalia who's going to get that great, you know, move? You know, what is your purpose here? And so in me going deeper, I said, I need to figure out why. And so in me asking myself that was, I'm here to connect with my spirits. 
my spirit. I'm here to connect with the creator. I'm here to connect with the people that are around me. I'm not here for that great powwow move. That's mm. not really why I'm here. I'm not here really to document my friends in this particular way. Yeah, they're great photos, but there's another level, right? And so I started playing with my F-stops and my shutter speeds. And that was the difference. And so when I started playing with that shutter, messing with that time, that is what happened. So it brought back the time of ghost images. Mm. And, um, and so when you start playing with your shutter speed and you open up that time, there, you, multiple things can happen within that time. Multiple pictures happen within that time. And so it's almost like a stacking of time. And so when you stack that time together and that shutter closes, anything can happen mm. in that time. How long you leave it open, you can get just mush. But if you play around with the time, who knows? You might get something beautiful or you might get something just mush or smear mm. or color. So to this day, I really don't know what I'm going to get. It really is an act of faith, right? And I still play each time. Depends on the time of day. It depends on whether it's dusk or if it's nighttime, the amount of light that's coming in the camera. There is no formula. It really is about me praying and connecting and me having a knowledge of you know, I know with this light, if I play with this f-stop and this shutter speed, I'm going to get an average of about this type of scene. And I I just play with what I know, the knowledge that I have that I'm going to get about this much movement or too much movement or less movement. And that's how I do it. Well, it's interesting because, and the color is so beautiful and vivid. Because if I look at if I look at this image that's on my computer over to the left, out of the corner of my eye, it looks almost like I, I'm almost thinking I'm seeing fireworks. So it's just that explosion of color. It's just... And that's all available light at nighttime. That particular image that you're looking at was taken at Shinnecock Reservation at a powwow. Um, they have um, several lights on a big drum, Everyone dances on top of a big drum. Mm. Um, and uh, it's a beautiful place to dance. And um, no flash. It's just available really? light. No flash. Wow. And there's no uh, um, post-production, which really? is Photoshop. There's nothing done. Nothing. Wow. And then to actually bring it to the image, to bring it to be an image, to bring it to be a four by six foot image. What, what is that process? That process is really, um, I take, um, I do a 10% increase in size. So instead of doing, instead of doing a big increase, so with, with increasing your images, so say with a 
digital 35 millimeter camera at 18 megapixels, you can actually blow your picture up to 16 by 24. That's the standard, right? Raw file. When you want to go larger than that, you can take steps like 10% increments to go a little larger and larger and larger. If you did it all at one time, you get a whole bunch of noise. Mm. So I do 10% increments and that keeps the noise down. And that's it. That's what I do. Now with the new software that's out, you can make them huge. (laughs) So there's something called pixel peeping, which means that if you go closer to a larger image, you can see a little noise in the image. So, but many people, when you have a large image, don't walk up to the image and pixel peep. Because the larger the image, the more you want to stand away from the image. It's kind of like a billboard. Mm. You don't need 300 dots per inch to see an image. You only need like 15 because you're never going to be that close to Mm. a billboard. Interesting. So, um, and then to actually bring it from that file to the final print, how does that work? So the file goes to a printer. Um, So I use a professional printer to um, print those images onto metal. I went from paper, really expensive paper, archival paper, to printing on metal. Oh, interesting. So when you first saw my images, they were printed on paper behind glass, and the glass created shadows and glare and I didn't want that I really wanted you to not see yourself in the picture right and so you know you had to play with lighting for that to not happen and it just created another boundary glass creates another boundary so I started showing the work without glass but then you're worried about this expensive print that you've just made that's over $1,000, right? $1,500 for just a four by six print. Um, four feet by six feet print, let me be clear. <laughs> and so now I print on metal and that takes away most of that glare and I print matte. And so these professional printers have a process of how they uh, print on the metal. But it's great for our students too, because they can, they have that unmediated experience. And as a muse, as museum folks, we're not as worried about fading or expose, right. you know, we right. can have them on view for a semester, two semesters, you know, our students are only with us for two years at a time. So we want to have as many of them exposed to your work and involved and engaged with your work as possible. So that process makes that possible. Right. Because under glass, you only want to expose paper for a certain amount of time and then you want to put it away. Right, right. And Mm -hmm. give it some rest. So in in other words, your photography becomes almost like an object. Yes. Yes. Very much so. And it's not Mm. going to be fugitive. It's going to be, oh, that's very interesting. I can't wait to see this work tomorrow. Yeah, please (laughs) come. (laughs) Bring everyone from New Haven. We're 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 all going to come over from WPKN today, I think. Um, And and have some of the food, too. My 
my upbringing, I grew, mostly grew up in the in the East Coast, but my family for about four years, three years, lived in Oklahoma. So, and we did a lot of camping. So we were almost every time we would go camping on the weekend at state parks, we would be along with um, with an, a Native American tribe would be would be there. And and you know this is the, the, this is they're in sacred spaces when they're in these gatherings. And so a lot of them. You know, we were we were aware of that you you don't you don't invade their space, but a lot right. of, at the same time, a, a number of them would be just like, "Oh, come eat some of our food," and they fried bread. Yes, I've had fried bread. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have T-shirts to say fried bread. <laughs> <laughs> we wear earrings that say fried bread. We have songs that about fried bread. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. So tomorrow, I'll also have under the photographs, there will be prayer bundles that I include in my work that represent, for me, um, a lot of tribes give them as a, uh, a form of thank you. Um, there are these red bundles that are, um, they're small, they're made with six by six red fabric, and inside of them is tobacco. Uh, mines have cherry tobacco in them, and they're, um, they're wrapped with sinew, artificial sinew, and we give them as a form of thank you. So if you've done something nice or I've met you and you've come to my show, I'll give you one. And you take that bundle and you open it up in your private time and you can take it outside and you can put it in a shell or you can put it on something and you burn the tobacco, not with the fabric, but you take it and put it on something else and you can burn. You can put it on the ground and burn that tobacco and you say a prayer with it. And the white smoke carries your prayer to the creator and the creator will hear your prayer. And that's between you and the creator. Mm. Right. And so I created 15,000 of those for a exhibition at the De Cordova Museum up near Boston. Mm. And I had the community help and my family help. 15,000? 15,000. Yeah. And the museum helped. I mean, everyone that I could get together. Yeah. <laughs> a, room, a room full. Yeah, art space helped. Yeah, I went uh, to the art space Sarah, event. Yeah. Sarah helped. And, when, it was, uh, when it was its own building. Yes. Yeah. And um, I mean, um, Keller Adele, the folks over there, they helped. Um, uh, just everyone that I could get my hands on. My family helped. I went to Queens. They helped. <laughs> everyone that I know. If you knew me, I was asking you if you could have a session during COVID <laughs> to make these bundles. And so I got about 15,000 uh, of them done. And we created this round circle. And it was a way to say, to represent the missing and murdered indigenous women mm. across North America. And so to give acknowledgement to it. And the, the original idea was to give the bundles away um, to help families bring um, some type of closure to the family me members that were gone and to bring up and to make a bundle and give back. Um, and that couldn't happen because of COVID, right? Because of the restrictions of COVID. And so it was just something that I wanted to do um, 
in regards to Felix Gonzalez Torres, Torres yeah. mm-hmm. uh, his candy pieces, um, in reference to his candy pieces, but in reference to the Native American culture and saying thank you and having that prayer for the families. So it was 15 flowers and 15,000 flowers and 15,000 prayers. Mm. Yeah. So I'll have some of those bundles to put under my pieces just for the day, and then we're going to remove them. So I'd like for you to be there so I can give you one. Oh, thank you. Mm -hmm. So how many works will you have on view? I think we have eight. Yes, eight. Very cool. So, and and sort of going to that topic about um, the the women disappearing, the women that are murdered. Do the people within your images that will be shown tomorrow? Do they have significance as as men, as women, as children? As um, do they have identities? What do you mean in terms of identities? In terms of are they? Are they, um, I mean, do, do the, are they identified? Are they, not, not maybe my name, but you know, this is a, a man dancing. This is a woman dancing. Um, yes, I, I even know most of who they are. <laughs> you may not be able to identify them, but I know who most of them are. Yeah. I, even the picture that you're looking at right there, I know who that young lady is. Mm. Yes, her brother, um, friended me on Instagram (laughs) (laughs) yesterday. Oh, interesting. Yes, yes. So she is from um, New Jersey. Um, She is, um, they they live in Bridgeton, New Jersey. Um, I can't think of the tribe right now. Oh, gosh, I can't think of the tribe. Um, We call it, we call, we call it something else. Our family called it, we say Salem Pow Wow, but that's not, Nanakote. They're Nanakote. They're from Nanakote. Yeah. You're listening to listener-supported WPKN in Bridgeport at 89.5 FM. We're online at WPKN.org. I'm here in the studio with Kim Weston, who is an Afro-Indigenous artist and founder of the Wabi Gallery in New Haven, and is her work will be on view tomorrow, and, and starting tomorrow through when? Through when? I, we are... Still sorting that out. I mean, for we a while, for a like, while, yeah, yeah for as long as Kim will let us. <laughs> <laughs> and this is at the Elizabeth Frey Gallery at the Housatonic Museum of Art. I'm also in the studio with Jennifer Reynolds Kay, who is the director of the museum, and you seem to be bringing some great energy and. It's yeah, amazing. no, I love my job. I love the work I get to do. Today we had an art club um, group and they welcomed in eight new paintings from the collection um, through the New York art dealer, Walter Ariter. So we're bringing new life, new art, new artists, um, wow. all to our students. Um, it's all it's all for them. And the image that we keep referring to is on the main flyer for the tomorrow's event, which is on our website at um, HousatonicMuseum.org. And it's called Medicine. Oh, okay. I guess that's why I was maybe asking about identity. It's identified as a, as a concept, as a spirit, as a person. Yeah, your titles, yeah. Do you, can you talk? Because I don't think I've asked you how you, how you uh, sort of, where the titles come from, Do they cre- how you create them, where they 
emanate, how they speak to, how they relate to the the photographs? So that particular photo that you're looking at, when I think of the young lady that I don't want to give out her name just yet, but when I think of the young lady and how young she was in that particular photograph, she was always caring for a younger child when she was dancing. And she also has a rainbow regalia, fancy dance regalia. And the fancy dance regalia represents the butterfly. And it was a regalia that was created, um, I want to say like in the 50s or 60s. It's a fairly new regalia for females And it was the female version of the male fancy regalia. And it was something for the females to be able to do in contrast of the males. Mm. And it was to represent the butterfly. And if you're doing that dance properly, the butterfly represents transformation. And transformation represents also healing powers. Mm. And so when I look at that image, it also represents the beaver. And that's one of the animals that I see in the face of that uh, image. And the beaver is about building and collecting water. And water is healing. Mm. And so when I looked at that with the rainbow and knowing the young lady who was always caring, I felt like that image just felt like mm. medicine. Oh, I love it. And it's in two, two other collections, it's too. It's in the Yale Gallery. It's in the Yale, Yale University owns that piece oh, great. at Morris mm. College. Um, and the DeCardova has it. The oh, DeCardova Museum has it. So your work is really getting out there and getting around, it sounds like. Yes. That's great. Yes. Well, we have just about a, a minute left, so I'm going to say thank you to both of you for coming in, and what a what a wonderful conversation. Just has been so, um, just so enlightening and thrilling for me. I'm just really glad to have you here. Glad to see you again, Jennifer. Glad to see you again, Kim. And I do want to have your students in here sometime. Oh, that would be wonderful. That would be wonderful. Yeah. I've, I've done a number of shows with students who would do some of the internships and apprenticeships at art space during the summer. And they were always so, it was just so much fun to talk to because they had been on these amazing journeys with whatever they were doing. So I'm, I just, I loved, I'd love to talk to your kids and okay. see some of their work. Okay. We'll make it happen. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you. And um, we'll have some an announcement in just a few minutes. Um, you are listening to listener supported WPKN and 